Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Spirit Radio. This is Catholic Conversations, and I am your host, Paul Garcia, and I'm also the host of The Paul Garcia Show, available on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Today, it is my pleasure to be speaking to the one and only Michael O'Neill, Miracle Hunter. Michael is an award-winning author, EWTN host, and creator of the popular miracle tracking website, MiracleHunter.com, where he delves into the fascinating world of miracles and takes listeners on a hunt that explores explores the greatest mysteries and marvels of the Catholic Church, from visions of the Virgin Mary and inexplicable medical healings through the intercession of saints to the miracles of the Eucharist and those who bear the wounds of Christ. Listeners will journey through the wonders that have inspired the fascination and faith of believers for centuries. Michael is a graduate of Stanford University and a member of the Mariological Society of America. He's been on NBC Today, Dr. Oz, and was featured in the National Geographic magazine. And now, He's on Catholic Spirit Radio with me, Paul Garcia, on Catholic Conversations. So, Michael, thank you very much for coming on, and did I miss anything there? Uh, thanks, thanks, Paul. It's great to be with you, and uh, thank you for the summary of, uh, of what I'm up to these days. And people can go to my website, MiracleHunter.com, for the latest and greatest, or connect to me on social media. I post all the events that are coming up, but uh, some of the big projects I'm working on these days relate to television. So for EWTN... I uh, do a series that airs every Friday at 4 p.m. Central Time, and that's called They Might Be Saints. And those, that's a story of Americans on the path to sainthood and the search for canonization miracles. And on Saturdays at uh, 5 p.m. Central Time, I've got a new travel series that's out. It's called Explore with the Miracle Hunter. I travel all over the world, and I look into some of the greatest mysteries and marvels of the Catholic Church, and they're, they're really fun half-hour episodes where... Uh, a lot of people aren't able to travel these days for for various reasons, and uh, it's a great opportunity to see the world. So, so thanks, thanks, Paul, for that introduction. Oh, absolutely! And my goodness, you are a busy man. I've got to ask right out the gate: Do you have a family, Michael? Because this seems like a quite the time consuming thing. Yeah, well, this is my uh, full time job. So, uh, this is uh, you know, I I, I do various uh, various work such as uh, radio, TV, books, and uh, pilgrimages. And uh, there's no such thing as a job as a miracle hunter, so all these puzzle pieces come together uh, for me and my family. So this is great. So, so you do have a family then? I do. Wow, man. Awesome. Well, this is really impressive work, and in my research I was doing on you, I had to stop myself because I was spending too much time reading about the things and listening to your podcasts on your website, because it's all very, very fascinating. But for the listener's sake, maybe tell us a, a bit more about what it is you do. What is the goal with for the Miracle Hunter? What is it that you're pursuing? Well, I think that my life is split in half. One half would be researching and investigating the miraculous, and the other half is devoted to telling the world about it. So um, so I think that um, when it comes to getting on the radio on uh, on Saturdays at you know, 12 p.m. or 6 p.m. at EWTN, or whether it's writing these books like Science and the Miraculous, or it's filling up the website, or just doing these television programs for EWTN, uh, it's just a great way to get the word out there on miracles. And as we can talk about later in the show, that miracles aren't essential for our faith. You know, we can, uh, you know, the words and works of Jesus Christ is where we, where we should be anchored to, but miracles sure help all of us, I think, as, as believers. They show us that God is there as a loving Father. So uh, the more that I can shine the light on legitimate miracles and 
uh, I'm a skeptic as much as I am a believer. I think people find that a little bit funny, but um, I, I don't believe everything. Or, or, or you know, there are very few of the claims of miracles. If you go to my website, miraclehunter.com, I've got as many as 2,500 Marian apparitions that are cataloged there. Uh, the Catholic Church has only approved them 28 times. The local bishop has said that they're worthy of belief. So it's a very small number, but I try to look at these things skeptically with a scientific eye when I can, and, and present the facts to people, and I think it helps their faith. So, long-winded answer to say that I hope uh, miracles draw people closer to Christ. No, that, that all very fascinating. The things that you're saying here, and you said you're a skeptic, and I love that. I'm a skeptic myself. Of course, I don't know one iota compared to what you know here, but correct me if I'm wrong, there is a position in the Vatican, and you may or may not know this, called, I think, think, or at least it used to be called, um, the devil's advocate. It translates to something else. And their sole purpose was to look into these miracles and maybe offer suggestions as to how these miracles might not have been truly miraculous. Is that true? Is that something you've ever heard? Yep. Or? So if you go in my book, Science and the Miraculous, which is my brand new book that's out, I have a whole uh, section dedicated to the canonization of saints. And within the Congregation for the Causes of Saints, Prior to 1983, there was this position called Advocat, Advocatus Diaboli, the, the Devil's Advocate, and Pope John Paul II abolished that, and currently there's someone called uh, the Defender of the Faith who performs that same role, but that person is basically to po- point out all the negative uh, criteria or the negative uh, aspects that should be considered when they look at the potential uh, canonization of a person, looking at their life of virtue or looking at the miracles that are claimed. So uh, it's, a, it's a very important aspect to have both sides considered, because not everything is a miracle. Uh, mm-hmm. There are lots of people out there who have these experiences which are wonderful, beautiful favors or blessings or graces, but when we talk about the miracles that I outline in my book, Science and the Miraculous, these are some of these top miracles where the Church uses science when possible, does these serious investigations, and on some very rare occasions says, this is worthy of belief. And uh, it's pretty exciting when we find one of those. Right. That's beautiful work right there. That's very important to to really figure out which miracles are true and authentic and miraculous and divine in nature. That That's a huge undertaking because the last thing you'd want to do, at least if you're asking me, is, is start to validate things that later on it comes to to the forefront that these were not, in fact, miraculous. You know, you got to be really, uh, I mean, I'm, I don't know the words here to say, but you have to be kind of vicious in your research and in your investigation so as to not let any non-miracles sneak through and people, you know, only later find out that they weren't miracles and then their faith and hope in the church kind of goes away with that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So the Church is so cautious and careful when it comes to the approval of miracles, and I think that's the way that they should be. And miracles aren't essential for our faith, as I mentioned before, So, uh, but the things that get approved, especially if we talk about a Marian apparition, it's the local bishop who will investigate, but Rome will never really show its recognition or pour cement on it, as I might say, and say Mm. it's good for all time, unless they've really looked at this and said there's no chance that there's a problem with it. So... There have been a number of cases of famous miracles being overturned by the Church. Uh, the local bishop has judged one thing, and a subsequent local bishop has reinvestigated. So they're always, they always keep their eyes on the prize, which is the truth, and getting the truth to the faithful. Maybe for the sake of myself and the listeners, could you please define what the term miracle actually means? So there is no 
true definition of miracle, but it comes from this Latin word mirare, to wonder. So there are things that uh, inspire us, and these are things that are rare, unexplained, um, and uh, without natural explanation. But just because something is beyond our understanding, maybe that makes it sort of a mystery or a marvel, uh, it requires that it's something that's worked for the good. So we talk about, uh, you know, we all have these little miracle stories where we, uh, uh, you know, our favorite football team has a Hail Mary pass at the end of the game, and it's, an, it's a touchdown, and we win, and, and we call that a miracle. Or uh, we, we lose our cell phone or, or our watch or whatever it is, and, and we find it, uh, and we thought it was lost forever. Or, you know, we're, we're late for something important, and five lights in a row are green. We call that a little bit of a traffic miracle, but... Uh, the, the ones that the churches are looking at are those that sort of uh, show that God is there as a loving Father looking out for us and, and blessing us with these incredible moments that uh, improve our lives and bring us closer to God. Um, but when we talk about miracles in the Catholic Church, there are only, there's only a handful of types, and I explore all of these in Science and the Miraculous, the book, the new book. But we're talking about Marian apparitions, the stigmata, that's where someone bears the wounds of Christ, Eucharistic miracles where true flesh and true blood are made manifest on a host. Uh, we're talking about weeping statues and incorruptible bodies. There are other miracles out there that the Church will on occasion look into, but those are the major categories where they apply science and investigation to find out what's going on. Wow. You'll check out that book. What's the name of that book one more time? Science and the Miraculous, How the Church Investigates the Supernatural, and it's from Tan Books. And you can go to EWTNRC.com, and you'll find it there as well. Perfect. Well, as you said earlier, you yourself are a skeptic, and there are many skeptics that believe that miracles are misunderstandings of non-divine phenomena. Do you believe that any of the miracles that you've looked into would cause even these great skeptics to reconsider their claim? Have you, have you worked with any that are just that powerful and that well-documented and investigated? Yeah, it, it's an excellent question, and I think just to, to back up a little bit, I think when we talk about Marian apparitions, for example, we have to rely on the testimony of a good witness. Theoretically, you know, uh, a, a child claiming a Marian apparition could be making it up, or mm. one of these visionaries could be making it up. I mean, they will uh, use brain scanners when possible, but you have to know when the apparition will occur in order for that to happen, and that's a rare case. So those have been very few that have been examined in that way. Uh, but um, are there miracles that are, you know, so impressive that even a skeptic would have to believe? Um, I put my money on Eucharistic miracles, in a sense, because those are the cases, as I outline in the book Science and the Miraculous, those are the cases where uh, there has been authentic scientific investigation that where the results are so hard to deal with that if people were fair, people were open-minded, and where people, and people were ready to study these things, they'd say, something is going on here that we cannot explain. And so when we're talking about Eucharistic miracles, we're talking about uh, the, that phenomena dating back to the year 750 A.D. The first known one was in Lanciano, Italy. But there have been hundreds of cases all over the world, in India, in Mexico, uh, all over Europe. And you look at these cases, and these are cases where true flesh and true blood are made manifest on a, in a consecrated host. And so we say, well, how do we know that this, in, this isn't a fake? Well, in all the Eucharistic miracle uh, cases, even dating back to before they knew they could test this, uh, all the blood type on all the hosts is blood type AB. So all the way back to the beginning, they're all blood wow. type AB. 
And the Shroud of Turin, the purported burial cloth of Christ, has blood stains on it, and that blood is blood type AB. Amazing. And so we also talk about uh, striated heart muscle found in, in these specimens. So th- these are things that uh, would imply torture. We also talk about white blood cells being present. There are no white blood cells on dead tissue, for example. Uh, so that's in the, one of the most fascinating things. And if you look in my book, uh, Science and the Miraculous, I explore this case of Sokolka in Poland, which happened this century. And in that case, they, the analysis using microscopy shows that they can't tell where the bread begins and the flesh ends. It's a completely seamless integration. Even if somebody wanted to create this hoax and capture a host and get blood type AB heart muscle and drop it on the host and leave it for the priest to find in the church, the, the host would not be integrated with, uh, with the bread, not be integrated with the flesh the way that it is on a microscopic level. It's absolutely impossible to reproduce. This is astonishing what I'm hearing right now, Michael, but just so I understand a little better, repeat that part about the not being able to tell where the flesh starts and the bread starts. What what do you mean by that? Do you look under a microscope and you just can't see a clear wall between the two types of what, cells? Or maybe you can elaborate just a tiny bit more. Yeah, exactly. So if this were a fake, for example, somebody wanted to perpetrate a hoax, and like I said, they know that they're all blood type AB, they know they're all heart muscle, uh, they know it's all striated, they could, they could get that sample and put it on top of a Eucharistic host and just leave it for the church to find, a parish priest to find, and then wouldn't that be a Eucharistic miracle? No, it wouldn't, because under the microscope, they would be able to determine bread and flesh based on the structure of the cells, and there would be a clear delineation between the start and the end. And it's not that case at all. It goes completely uh, integrated in a mesh and a gradient, however you want to say it. But from one to the other, it's impossible to tell uh, the two apart as they're transitioning. So it's it's an amazing thing. That is absolutely incredible. Here in Normal, uh, Illinois, which is where I'm calling from, we have uh, Epiphany Catholic Church. And at Epiphany, there was an exhibit a couple years ago that just documented in these great big poster boards all these Eucharistic miracles. Apparently there's a lot because this went down hallways and my goodness, I I stayed there for hours and just read these things. And when it comes to science, there are modern scientists who have converted, well-known, world-renowned scientists who have converted to the Catholic faith because of their deep dive investigation of these Eucharistic miracles. And I'm sure within the science speak that was on these poster boards, they said exactly what you're saying. But the fact that these miracles all have the same details, very specific details, such as the AB blood type, the striated heart muscle, even the white blood cells, whatever you were saying with that, that is just astonishing. And I have another great question for you that I want to say in just one second. But first, we have to take a quick break and say thank you to our sponsors. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm Paul Garcia talking to Miracle Hunter Michael O'Neill, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. The Shroud of Turin is believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. Holy Trinity Church is bringing the Man of the Shroud exhibit to Bloomington. This includes over 
60 illustrations of historic and forensic studies, graphics, and the awe-inspiring full-size replica of the shroud. All ages are invited to view this stirring exhibit. This exhibit has been extended to include this weekend, May 13th through Sunday, May 15th. For more details, check their website or contact Holy Trinity Church in Bloomington. Catholic Spirit Radio appreciates your donations. Some of you can mail them or drop them off at 108 Boykins in Dormal. Others of you, click the donation button found on our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Large or small, we appreciate them all. And we are back. This is Catholic Conversations. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, host of The Paul Garcia Show, and I'm here with Miracle Hunter Michael O'Neill. So, Michael, we just left off talking about the incredible, astonishing details of Eucharistic miracles, and I have this question for you. So, the thing about faith is that there's a hint of this unsureness baked into it. it it's required. And it can be incredible, but sometimes downright frightening when some when that unsureness is removed and the reality of the divine world is made incredibly clear. My question is, why might God instigate these miracles in the first place, do you think? Well, I think that uh, our Catholic faith has these amazing bookend miracles, right? The incarnation and the resurrection. Those are essential if those miracles didn't happen, uh, you know, there's no point in being Catholic in the first place. I mean, you need to believe in those big-time miracles. And so miracles are, are an essential element of our faith. And of course, uh, when we look at the miracles of Christ, they proved his divinity. So they uh, said to the world that this is God uh, um, amongst us. And he, uh, he empowered the apostles to work miracles to build the young church. And so as Catholics, we're not uh, obliged to believe in any of the miracles outside of the Gospels um, or, or outside the Bible. The, anything that's a modern miracle is sort of a bonus for us. You know, you could say, for example, you could say, you know, the the tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe. You could say, ah, I think that's just a painting. You could say that, and you'd still be a Catholic in good standing. Or you could say that uh, the Lord's miracles, the 7,000 remarkable cures and the, the 70 that have been validated is completely, completely without explanation. You could say, Ah, science doesn't know what it doesn't know yet. They're not going to, you know, those aren't real miracles. Or you could say the children of Fatima were just making it up. They just wanted some extra attention. You could <gasps> say all those things, and that would be fine, except if you have any of those opinions, send me an email, because I'll, 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 I'll prove that those are all wrong. But, um, you know, so miracles, you know, they, they can boost our faith. God gives us uh, the, these moments to pull back the veil a little bit, to give us some inspiration, to boost our faith and uh, to give us these, these great occasions to celebrate and make us stronger, because uh, the journey is a hard one. So I think that's what, what God is doing for us. So when God chooses a moment in time and a place in time to instigate a miracle, you think it's a calculated thing, and it's, it's really there to have some profound impact on our faith and the faith of the world. Is, is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, I mean, truly, it is a question for God when we get there. What was the point of this? What, how, how intentional is each miracle? And if we focus on Lanciano, for example, the site of the first Eucharistic miracle, the story that comes down to us in tradition is that the priest there was having great doubts about his faith and about uh, the true presence. And uh, in that Eucharistic miracle that was worked, uh, that, of course, brought him back to the faith in, in, in a big way. And so, you know, I think that miracles are intentional by God. God gives us these blessings. We pray for miracles. God grants them. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, miracles, uh, 
they're complicated in their own way, for sure, but uh, I think that uh, that God does them uh, for, for the good of, of humanity. Does do In these miracles, it seems that God, in his will, will bypass the laws of physics. Have you ever heard of scientists getting, I don't know, confused at the very least about these miracles? Have you ever put this information in front of maybe an atheist, uh, an atheist scientist, and they don't know what to say, or do they usually formulate an answer of some sort? Well, I think what's complicated about miracles is that if you give them a chance and they violate your expectation of how things are supposed to go, you are obliged, if you are a fair person, to do something about it. And one example, even amongst the Christian community, is that everybody loves a good healing miracle. You know, I think even in, in some Protestant books, they'll, they'll mention the miracles of Lourdes, for example, or, um, you know, healing miracles used for sainthood causes. Everybody knows that's God really working the miracle. The saint is just uh, the pathway there, perhaps. Uh, so people feel pretty comfortable with the healing miracles of the Catholic Church, or even outside of the Catholic Church. But when you start talking about weeping statues of Mary, Marian apparitions are even more difficult, a Eucharistic miracle, then <laughs> it's so hard to acknowledge because you've got to sign up for the whole thing at that point. And so miracles provide, present a challenge for a lot of people. Absolutely. And speaking of the Eucharistic miracles, I would assume, but maybe I'm wrong, that the confirmed Eucharistic miracles only lie in the Catholic Church. Is that correct, or can that happen? Yeah, that's, in... 100, that's 100% true, of course, yes. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, what's a time that you were really blown away by what you learned about a particular miracle? Unless you were so well, uh, uh, whatever the word would be, used to these miracles, and maybe you never were blown away by them, but maybe what's what's the most profound one that you've looked into? So I had the opportunity at one point to investigate a stigmatic, an authentic living stigmatic. And I was able to see his wounds manifest with my own two eyes. And that stuck, it stuck with me forever. And even, even when I went home, even when I went to bed that night, it was in my mind, it was in my dreams. You know, I, I, just, I just couldn't believe what my eyes were showing me. And so I have a, I have a chapter in my book, uh, Science and the Miraculous, about the stigmata and some of the research that goes into proving which ones are fake and which ones are real. Uh, but if you see something like that with your own two eyes, the things I've seen with my eyes across the board, uh, I have to believe. I have no choice. Uh, <laughs> it's an absolute lesson. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that particular instance. You said you watched his, his or her wounds, I assume his actually, but their wounds manifest what exactly did that look like? Did you watch it in real time? Did it go from healed flesh to wounded flesh right before your eyes? Or maybe That's if right. you can articulate right. it. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's as you say, you know, there were, there were no wounds and then there were wounds. Um, and uh, that uh, it, it was a remarkable thing. So uh, I, I, it was such a blessing to witness that. And there, of course, there are, are, have been very few stigmatics in history, so too. Uh, be in the presence of an authentic one um, was absolutely amazing. So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the book Science and the Miraculous tries to explain that phenomena. They've done psychological studies, for example, on uh, various uh, 
patients, and they've, through hypnosis, tried to manifest stigmata on, uh, on, the, on the bodies of these people. There has not been a single successful case of hypnosis causing non-superficial wounds to manifest on a person's body. So it is not simply a psychosomatic phenomenon. However, before we jump up and down and we say, let's, <laughs> let's get the Protestants in on this and show them this, bring in some atheists, tell them about it, that all miracles are complicated in their own way, I always like to say, because if you look at the wounds of Padre Pio through, the, through his palms, if you look at, look at the wounds on the Shroud of Turin through the wrists, if you look through uh, Saint Fran- at St. Francis of Assisi, he had physical nails growing out of his hands. If you look at Therese Newman of Germany, she had 60 lash marks on her back. Some people have the crown of thorns, some don't. Some have the classic six wounds, others don't. Some last for a short period of time. Some people die with them. Padre Pio's wounds went away before he died. So, you know, it's such a complicated thing that happens. It's an amazing and beautiful thing that, that gives us faith, but it still is complicated. So that's some of the fun of miracles, though. I get to investigate things and, and talk about them in books like Science and the Miraculous. Right. And in dumb minds like mine just kind of secretly wish that God would, you know, make it all a lot more clear and a lot more simple so people like me could understand. So we could jump up and down and say, atheists, Protestants, hey, come over here, check this out. But you know what? Tough for me. That's just not how it works. And you never know why God and his perfect will and infinite intelligence does it in the way that he does, you know, performs these miracles. But tough, tough for me. That's I guess that's for people like you to figure out. Well, we, we, we all have that same secret wish that miracles were a little bit more clean sometimes and that we could just point everyone to it. But that's where faith comes in. And uh, faith is, is essential with or without miracles. But miracles really help us along the way a little bit. We've briefly touched on hoaxes here, at least the idea of them. Are there any big hoaxes even within the Catholic Church that you'd care to mention, maybe some that you've uncovered in your own research? Talk about hoaxes a little bit. So this is an unfortunate thing that happens. I mean, I think that we, we have to differentiate between pious frauds and those who are actually looking to pull something over. So we might say uh, a pious fraud is somebody who believes they are hearing the voices of Mary in their head, but perhaps they have psychological disorders or you know, we've all had prayers where we feel like we're hearing something pretty clearly, uh, but are those locutions or apparitions? No, those are sort of interior understandings, perhaps. And so uh, that's the job of the Catholic Church and the psychologist, perhaps, to, to make a distinction between the two. But, you know, there are, there are all kinds of uh, cases of actual frauds. Um, you know, we've, we've seen throughout the years uh, statues or, or weeping, uh, weeping Madonnas being, uh, being, uh, being faked, there was this case just a couple of years ago in Texas, actually, in the bishop in the Diocese of Dallas, where there was a woman who was claiming to receive visions of Mary, and her, she said her statue of Mary was bleeding, and she was saying rose petals were falling from the sky. Well, in that particular case, and this was Our Lady of the Argyle, um, in that case, she was actually caught on closed-camera television uh, placing the rose petals in the ceiling, uh, and wait and having them fall down uh, before, and then the cameras would roll after that. But they, you know, it was a, like a, uh, after further review, the play does not stand, you know, not a touchdown. So, I mean, they, they saw that one on video evidence that was ruled out as a hoax. So those are the very rare cases where we, you have somebody 
perpetrating that that most most seriously. But other cases, people just think that they're hearing God, and they're really not. Right. So, speaking of Mary, why is it that Mary seems to be the primary appearer in these Catholic apparitions? It's a great question, and believe it or not, I've gotten it before, and I still don't have a good answer for it. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about the famous cases of Jesus appearing, St. Margaret Mary Ellicoke in the Sacred Heart Division, uh, the Visions, or we talk about uh, St. Faustina in her uh, visions as well. Uh, those are the two most famous visions of Jesus. But why isn't it always Jesus? And there have been accounts throughout Africa and in the Muslim world where Jesus is appearing to, to people. That's been documented, and that's pretty interesting. I've done some radio interviews on that as well, but the Church has never really looked into those. But you ask, why Mary? And there have been many visions of saints, for example. Uh, Padre Pio and St. Therese are two of the uh, most popular uh, other non-Marian visions that happen. But why does Mary have such great uh, prominence or preeminence in these visions? It's an answer we may never know, but um, the way I like to look at it is perhaps um, if somebody is not a great saint, like St. Faustina or St. Margaret Mary, and, and they, they, couldn't, uh, they couldn't handle uh, uh, Christ, God in front of them, manifesting, maybe that would be overwhelming for most people. But his mother, you know, uh, the loving presence of the Mother of God, and she speaks in a way that's unique to each and every visionary. Maybe it's the comfort that Mary brings to us that encourages us and draws us closer to her son. So uh, that's the whole point of Mary of these apparitions in the first place, is to be drawn closer to Christ. And who better to do it than Mary herself, who brought Christ into the world, to draw us to Christ? So I don't have a good answer for that one, but that's the best I've got for you. Right, understood. And it, it seems to me like there might be, and just as there are laws of physics and laws of nature here on Earth, there might be something similar in the divine world, you know, that's just kind of beyond us. You know, there's a clear reason why Mary makes certain apparitions, why she appears in certain ways and in other saints in other ways and in the science and the methods behind or the principles and the laws behind prayer, even the metaphysics of prayer. Uh, does that field of, I don't even know what to call it, metaphysical sciences, does that intrigue you at all? I know it's all largely theory and speculation, but is that something you think about, how prayer works, why these miracles happen, how they happen and manifest? Is that all interesting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, I'm a you know, Stanford-trained engineer, and uh, I love to dig into data, love to look into investigation, I love to apply scientific method whenever it's possible to these things. However, some things are just unknowable. And I think that we're always going to run into that. We're always going to run into that challenge of there not being enough information, or you can't study it enough to get to the answers that you want. And that's a little bit of the fun for me and the challenge for me in all of this. But, you know, I think it, it, all, it all is wrapped into the bigger picture of you know, there is something beyond this world for us. There is something beyond this life for us. And so uh, these miracles sort of crack open that door, crack, you know, move back the veil just a little bit, reveal God here on earth. And so, um, you know, trying to contemplate uh, what's going on on the other side, so to speak, uh, we can all spin our heads a little bit or spin our wheels and uh, cloud our heads with thoughts of these things, and they're fun to think about. But, you know, I think that the miracles that are happening amongst us are the ones that I'm focusing on and uh, 
trying to understand them as God blesses us with them. Very interesting stuff right there. And we'll be right back in just one second. First, we got to say thank you to a few of our beloved sponsors, but you're listening to Catholic Conversations. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, and I'm speaking to the one and only miracle hunter, Michael O'Neill, and we will be right back. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Catholic Spirit Radio appreciates your donations. Some of you can mail them or drop them off at 108 Boykins in Normal. Others of you click the donation button found on our website, catholicspiritradio.com. Large or small, we appreciate them all. The Shroud of Turin is believed to be the burial cloth of Jesus. Holy Trinity Church is bringing the Man of the Shroud exhibit to Bloomington. This includes over 60 illustrations of historic and forensic studies, graphics, and the awe-inspiring full-size replica of the Shroud. All ages are invited to view this stirring exhibit. This exhibit has been extended to include this weekend, May 13th through Sunday, May 15th. For more details, check their website or contact Holy Trinity Church in Bloomington. This is Catholic Conversations. We are back. I'm your host, Paul Garcia, speaking to Miracle Hunter Michael O'Neill. So, Michael, I'm very curious in listening to what I've heard so far. Where does your interest in this line of work actually come from? Because you mentioned, you know, you went to Stanford University for engineering. Well, that's entirely different from this, uh, at least for the most part. So where does your interest in this line of work, miracles, come from? Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that there's no such thing as a degree in miracle hunting uh, at any university, Catholic or otherwise. So this has all been uh, something that's kind of developed over time. And um, as a youngster, I had a great devotion to Our Lady of Guadalupe as given to me by my own mother, who uh, loved Our Lady of Guadalupe because she brought my grandmother back to the Catholic faith. That's a, our own little uh, family miracle story. But um, So every December 12th, I would always hear that story of Our Lady of Guadalupe, that tilma and those apparitions and uh, St. Juan Diego and you know the whole deal. So as a youngster growing up, I was always fascinated uh, by miracles. And so um, when I got to Stanford University, I took an archaeology class as sort of a, a side class to my engineering major. And uh, the professor said, you can write about an artifact that's had an impact on the history of the world. And I chose uh, the Tilma of Our Lady of Guadalupe, of course. And in that research, my eyes were open not only to the miracles of Our Lady of Guadalupe, but all the others, not just Fatima and Lourdes, but the hundreds and thousands of cases that the Church has investigated over the years, and on some rare occasion, actually said they're worthy of belief. And mm-hmm. I would totally have understood if the Church had said, well, that's for the faithful to figure out, but that's really not what we're going to get into. But the Church has said that these things have actually happened. And, you know, that's putting, you know, uh, your, your reputation on the line for the Catholic Church to actually declare real miracles. So I said, this is so interesting. When I grow old, I'm going to get back into this, and I'm going to study miracles. But uh, not too much longer. Uh, I grew old fast because your graduation, Condoleezza Rice, who was the vice provost at Stanford at the time, she gave this great advice, which was become an expert in something. So, you know, sure, pur- pursue the engineering degree, but find something that you have and want to have an expertise in. And she said she was one. Uh, she was an expert in one year, one aspect of Czechoslovakian military history. And she knew more about that than any person in the whole world. She was sure of it. So find your sliver of the universe and own it. So, you know, I love that advice, and that rings in my head even to this day. And so that kind of set me off. I then registered the website 
MiracleHunter.com. This is way back, you know, in 1998 or whatever it was. And I've been, you know, writing the books, filling the website up, you know, uh, creating TV shows, leading pilgrimages, the whole deal. You know, uh, all these things have uh, really worked for the good, and Mary keeps opening these doors for me, and I keep walking through them. So uh, it's been a real blessing to do what I do. What a beautiful journey that is. And speaking of Stanford University, one of my greatest, or one of my favorite speeches of all time was from Steve Jobs at the Stanford uh, graduation ceremony. And he, and he said something along the lines of, you have to do what you believe is great work. And don't, you have to be like massively interested in it or else you'll, you'll quit because the journey is going to be very difficult if you're serious about it. So you have to do what you believe is great work and you have to love what you do. That's the only way you're going to continue doing it, you know, and doing a good job is if you love what you do. And it really seems like you love what you do. And that's part of the reason you're doing such a great job. And I want to ask this question because we really haven't touched on it. And I I definitely want to. You talked about Padre Pio earlier. You know, we talked about the stigmata. We talked about, you know, some, some miracles not actually being miracles, maybe being a product of mental unwellness even. I've read about Padre Pio that sometimes he would experience what appeared to be divine apparitions or miracles even, but they were actually facades or, or demons putting on a show. Is that something you've you've heard about that you know about, and, and is it a common thing? You know, demons, the demonic, the devil himself trying to act as though they are these heavenly bodies, these heavenly beings, you know, and, and maybe I don't know what they would do after that, but have you ever heard of this type of thing happening? Uh, absolutely. So I, pr- I produced a uh, hour-long special called Miracles of Padre Pio that aired on EWTN, and people can actually see it through their on-demand or their EWTNRC.com website. And in that, uh, we, we told sort of the, the life story of Padre Pio, and in there you can actually see um, in San Giovanni Rotondo, where Padre Pio lived, they have his old room or cell kind of uh, preserved so people can visit and see what it was like. But they actually have some, uh, some of his old shirts that he would wear to bed, perhaps, and they are blood-stained uh, on, on the back. He would, he would it, it go on not only uh, torments of the devil, devil spiritually, but he would also physically be harmed by these attacks of the devil, so much so that his shirt would be stained with blood. And so they have some of these relics there. Um, so Padre Pio is one of the great uh, modern examples of this, but throughout Christian history we have these saints who battle the devil. So um, it's, it's a real thing. Um, you know, when it comes to Marian apparitions or other visions that the Church is trying to investigate, they always have to consider the preternatural before they would even approve anything as supernatural. So that's part of the process. The preternatural, what does that mean exactly? So we're talking about uh, sort of the bifurcation of supernatural events. So we have the light and we have the dark. So Mm. supernatural is the term that's usually used when we talk about uh, those things that are miraculous and from God. And we talk about those things that are from the devil, and uh, they use a separate term, that being preternatural, for that as well. So... Okay, I understand. That's very interesting. I didn't know they had those shirts on display, the shirts that, that Padre Pio wore when he was attacked by the devil. And those stories of his encounters with the devil or the demonic are, are many, and they are extremely intriguing 
and extremely frightening in some cases. You know, you hear about him waking up and the, some demon is looking over top of him and he says, oh, it's, it's just you. These are incredible <laughs> stories there. And, and we could do a full episode on Padre Pio. And apparently you've done hour long specials on the guy. But, you know, we only got a few more minutes here. So I, I want to ask, you know, there are many Catholics that look at the bodies of uncorruptible saints, and I believe St. Padre Pio is, is one of them, and then there's also St. Bernadette, if my research is correct. Some saints, though, either appear to be not uncorruptible at all, despite being given the title uncorruptible, and some others seem to be a bit too polished. And I want to ask this because people have asked me about it, saying, you know, these uncorruptible saints, they say they're miraculously uncorruptible after they die, they don't, they don't decay, but look at them. They look awfully waxy. So is this a is this a field that you've looked into? Do you have any any insight to give about the topic of uncorruptible saints? Yeah, it, it's a great question, and I have to say it is the most complicated of all uh, miracle uh, miracles that we have. And in my book, Science and the Miraculous, the chapter that's going to open the most eyes is the chapter about the incorruptible saints, because I don't pull any punches, I don't hide anything. When we talk about Padre Pio, your research is incorrect, because he is not incorrupt. He Mm. has a wax mask on in San Giovanni Rotondo. However, his heart is incorrupt. So same with St. John Vianney. The rest of his body is not. And, um, you know, and I do uh, include the doctor's report in the book, Science and the Miraculous, of St. Bernadette Subaru, who is perhaps the, the most, the greatest of all incorruptible saints. But you're right, there's an extreme variety amongst these cases. Some are incorruptible for decades, some are incorruptible for centuries, some are partially incorrupt, some are incorrupt just a little bit. So it's, uh, it, it's an amazing thing, and not all saints are incorrupt. Of course, uh, we, you know, we have 10,000 saints or so, there's only a couple hundred that are incorrupt. So it's a complicated thing. It's another one of these when we get to heaven, we can ask God, why did you do it this way? Because it sure would be nice if all the saints were incorrupt. So that's why we would know who was a saint and who wasn't, or if they were incorrupt for all time, so all generations could see them, or if they were completely incorrupt, so it wouldn't be confusing to have a heart that's uh, incorrupt, but the body isn't. So you, you ask an excellent question, but uh, the chapter in my book, Incorruptibles, really, or about incorruptibles, uh, really digs into this in great detail. Very interesting. I wonder if there's a field of miracles called uncorruptible living saints, because my grandma's a wonderful <laughs> person. She does not seem to ring, wrinkle at all, no matter how much she ages. But anyway, so the science of miracles, everyone, or the science of the miraculous, I'm sorry, by Michael O'Neill is definitely a book that everyone needs to check out. And I've got a couple questions here before we wind down that are just really out of left field, but I'm sure you've heard maybe just a couple people ask you about this, but... When looking at biblical miracles, and even miracles around today, especially perhaps a miracle of Fatima, I just talked to a a NASA enthusiast here on the show. When it comes to aliens, actually, just theorizing here, have you ever had anyone say, you know what, I think maybe extraterrestrials were involved in what we perceive to be a miracle from, you know, the the virgin birth, for example, to other things. Have you ever had anyone say, in, in the Miracle of Fatima, you know, maybe that was a UFO in the Miracle of Fatima that was spinning around and going around the sky, or maybe, you know, Christ was 
immaculately conceived because of some extraterrestrial uh, science uh, behind conception. I don't know, but have you ever heard anyone suggest things along these lines? And what do you say to them? Yeah, I've had a couple of people with that uh, with that concept of saying that this is UFO activity, and you know, I think that the the Sun Miracle of Fatima is a is a great fit for that, right? It's a great fit to say that oh, something's in the sky that's unexplained, and it's seen by the local people, but not necessarily by the people of the world. So, you know, that is an interesting theory. However. The timing of it is pretty amazing. So it, this uh, miracle of the sun was predicted by uh, Lucia Fatima. That's why the crowds were there, 70,000 people at the COVID area. That's why they were there in that place. And uh, just at the time when they expected the miracle of the sun happened. So I think that uh, those people who say that these were crystals in the sky or alien activity that just happened to happen at that exact moment, it's a little bit too lucky if you ask me. But uh, there are people who say that uh, that aliens have had some role in the miraculous, and I'm not necessarily going to say whether I'm a subscriber to alien th- uh, aliens in general. Uh, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty big topic to, to dig into, but um, it's possible that some things in the sky, if there were things in the sky, could be something different than what we might assume them to be. However, uh, I think that uh, the, the miracles uh, that that uh, have occurred over the ages have been those things which have inspired the faithful, brought people closer to Christ, uh, you know, brought the Virgin Mary into the lives of the saints through apparitions. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, it's not, uh, alien activity doesn't make any sense in the context of faith. Understood completely. So, Michael, in your, your vast experience in research in miracles, would you say that your faith has been bolstered up even to the point, you know, you watched a Sigmata manifest right before your eyes. Would you say that this has, has greatly strengthened your faith? Absolutely. I think it's, it's such, it's such a, a great point. I wish, in some ways, I wish more people had my job, but I'm pretty happy being the only game in town at this point. But, um, you know, I think that, and that's why I try to tell these stories through, uh, through the television series, They Might Be Saints or Explore on Saturdays at uh, 5 p.m., um, I try to bring those miracles to life because these things have been a staple of our faith for centuries. Uh, part, you know, as, I've, as I mentioned before, miracles are essential for, for our faith with the incarnation and the resurrection. But what I've seen personally, the, the experiences with the stigmata or seeing uh, weeping statues or have interviewed Marian visionaries or the bishops who have investigated them, I've had such great access to all these things, and I can't help but believe and uh, it, it's really been an absolute blessing for me, and I try to help bring that blessing to the world, whether it's a television, radio, or these books like Science and the Miraculous. That's glorious work right there. I, I always like to say that when it comes to picking a career path, you should look at what you're interested in, that you're also good at, that could also you know, bring about good in the world and please God. That's, you know, there's, there are things that fit all that criteria and it's just really cool to see you picking the perfect thing, something you're really good at, that you're really interested in, that is really good for the world. So, you know, on behalf of everyone, really thank you for doing what you do, Michael. And in the grand scheme of things, what is it you're looking to accomplish in your career? Well, I just want to 
bring people closer to Christ uh, with miracles. And and really, um, I'm not out there evangeliz- evangelizing or proselytizing. I just want people to say, huh, what if that's true, what he's saying? And start doing their own research. Go to MiracleHunter.com, go wherever you need to go to get to the bottom of things. But for those people who don't believe, for those people who are having trouble believing, I just hope that something I say or something I do makes somebody say, wait a minute, maybe that's real. Let's, let's look into that a little bit further. So, so I'm, I'm just hoping to crack the door for a few people uh, who, and, and inspire some faith. And this is entirely unprofessional for an interviewer to do, to ask a question exactly like this, but is there any bit of wisdom you can impart on myself and on the listeners that you've learned from your work with miracles, something that you think they ought to know that you've been blessed to learn? Well, I think it's important when it comes to miracles. I think a lot of Catholics um, and people our faith are fascinated by miracles. And it's, we, we have to look at these as a real blessing. I think they really can help our faith. However, it's important, and I know it's funny coming from a guy who calls himself the miracle hunter, uh, to not be obsessed with miracles. The words and works of Jesus Christ are where our faith is at. Attending Mass, we have the greatest miracle of any miracle each and every day on every Catholic altar. Uh, all over the world, we have uh, the, the bread and wine turning into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. We have that at our fingertips uh, every single day. We have that blessing. So we have to be careful not to chase these maybe miracles and, and want to know what the latest and greatest is. And I'm happy for people to go to MiracleHunter.com and learn as much as they can about the research I've done on miracles. But we have to remember that miracles aren't the center of our faith, and we have to find Jesus. We have to use these occasions to draw closer to Jesus. So uh, that's what I've learned uh, uh, throughout the years doing this. Right, and that might be the sole purpose, after all, of these miracles, to lead us closer to Christ, to God, and to the divine world, and to our faith. And I believe that, uh, you, you know, you, you touched on that extremely well, and you articulated that very well. So for people listening, this is Michael O'Neill, Miracle Hunter, owner and founder of MiracleHunter.com. He's a host of They Might Be Saints and Explore with the Miracle Hunter. You're the EWTN host, and I mean, you do so much more. Check out your book. I've got to read your book. I wish I could have read it before this interview, but I'm going to order it on Amazon. Is it available on Amazon, Science of the Miraculous? Yep, so go on Amazon, visit your favorite Catholic local bookstore, support them if you want, or Tan Books or EWTN, whatever it is. Uh, It's everywhere now. Wonderful. Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for a really glorious conversation. I I truly appreciate it, and thanks again. Yeah, just thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, that is a wrap. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. That was Michael O'Neill, Miracle Hunter, and this is Paul Garcia, the host of The Paul Garcia Show. God bless and have a great week. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at catholicspiritradio.com. 